You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Hey, good morning, church. So good to see you all this morning. Um, Hey, thank you so much for being adaptable and just flexible last week, this week, as we've um, transitioned to moving to accommodating one service. um, You guys just proved yourself to be amazing. And so... um, willing to, to go with it and to be patient and gracious as we, as we navigate this change together. So thank you. I just wanted to say that. Uh, thank you for, for being you. And um, I really do believe this is a, a test for our church as to you know, whether or not we will stay on mission as we, you know, as we steward this value, this gospel value that we have of being family. Uh, family is not the mission. I said this last week. Um, Family is the conduit, or the vessel through which the Lord accomplishes his mission on the earth. Family is how he expresses his heart to a world um, that doesn't know what family is. And so I never want like us gathering together as one, which I think is the Lord's plan for us as a church family. I, I never want that to be the end in itself. It's the means to the Lord's uh, higher ends, which is to seek and save the lost. And so... Um, and so this is a test for us as to whether or not we'll stay on mission or if us just gathering together will be the mission itself, and it's not. Because I do believe there's a day coming where there will be an outpouring of the Spirit of God in this place, and we will need to be ready. We will need to be shown that we can be ready to steward that outpouring. Um, because this is what happens. Because when I talk about an outpouring of the Spirit of God, oh, they told me not to walk around this morning, but it looks like we're good. Uh, um, when there's an outpouring of the Spirit of God, you, you can't even like, keep the people back from coming and experiencing the Lord because the hungry come, the, the, the lost come, those that are desperate for a touch from God will come if the presence of God is truly there. So when I, when I talk about an outpouring of the Spirit of God, I'm not talking about something that can be stirred up through just some louder music or a fog machine. God, you know, God save us. We will not have fog machines, but... I'm not talking about anything in that vein. I'm talking about the tangible presence of God that transforms lives, that sets people free, that heals bodies. And when that happens in a place, uh, you, can't, you, you can't even keep the people back. I mean, the people will be flooding into this place. People will be seat, seated on the floor. And therefore, we need to be a house, a family, that is uh, willing to be inconvenienced, be, be uncomfortable for the sake of those that really need a touch from God. And that's our heart in cramming more people into, uh, you know, having everyone sit closer together as we accommodate this cultural value for us as gospel value of family, is that we would still make room at the table. I grew up in a, a large blended family, um, and my parents, who both knew Jesus, had former marriages that were destroyed by alcoholism and infidelity. They could have allowed uh, their prior uh, destroyed marriages just heap shame on them and allow them just to kind of hunker down as this fam- family just trying to survive, but they didn't. I lived in a family where my parents always made room at the table. And so family for us was still, even with God's redemptive plan of the miraculous of what he was accomplishing in us as a family, always a conduit for, to express the heart of God, the love of God to people. So we always had people, even when I didn't want other people at our table, my parents always invited other people to the table. And that should always be our heart. Let us never be content with those that are here when there's a world out there desperate for something real, 
desperate for an authentic touch from God. Um, I want to share a message with you this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You can turn there. The title of my message this morning is The Wisdom of the Cross. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, The Wisdom of the Cross. And we are going to end this morning with communion. So this is a special morning for us as a church family. As we turn our attention to the cross, the pinnacle of God's wisdom, the expression for all of eternity of God's wisdom, bridging the gap, the gap between our finite wisdom and the infinite wisdom of God is the cross. So when we look at the cross, it's a dis- different type of wisdom than you'll find anywhere else on the planet. Scour the universities, the scholarly journals, scour the World Wide Web, the the Google machine, and you will not find wisdom that compares to the wisdom of God. And that's really important for us to proclaim and declare. The wisdom of man is in a different universe. It's in a different league from the wisdom of God. This, for us as children of, of God, becomes an invitation for a way of life. For us to walk in the wisdom of God, which is the wisdom of the cross. Every generation has this temptation to cling to the wisdom of their age. In prior generations, it was this flocking around philosophers and Stoics and, you know, the the eloquent orators, the thinkers. As you move through the ages, you know, people flock to the, the, the age of the Enlightenment and the Industrial Revolution or people uh, were astounded by the wisdom of efficiency and human power and effectiveness, intellectualism and logic. And now in our modern age, there is this exaltation of the sheer quantity of information of which we have at our fingertips. And this gives us this, 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 gives us this false notion of, human, of, of, of wisdom, of like we actually know something. Our current age actually makes us feel like we can know whatever we want whenever we want to know it. Data experts say that 90% of the world's data has been created in the last two years alone. It's a staggering figure and it's expected that that volume will continue to double every two years. There's this exponential increase of information being flooded at us. Every day, they estimate that 2.5 quintillion bytes of data are being created. It's like a fulfillment of what Paul talked about in Romans chapter 1, where it says these ones will be claiming to be wise, and they became foolish. So there is this mountain, this behemoth of wisdom flooding around the ether, around the universe. But that mountain of wisdom is different than the wisdom of God. And I want to say it like it is. The wisdom of God seen through the cross, this glimpse into eternity, is different than the wisdom of this world. It's in a completely different league. The other afternoon, Friday afternoon, I was walking to the football stadium with my family to catch the last home game for Iowa State. Walking along the sidewalk towards the stadium, and this was actually the first time I'd brought my three daughters to a football game. It's just a confession, I know. 
me and my son would usually go. This time we all went as a family and it was a fun outing. But as we were walking, one of my daughters was just inquiring about football, trying to understand it. And she said, Dad, why is it that we say in Iowa there's only two, we only have two football teams, just the Hawkeyes and the Cyclones? What about Gilbert High School? (laughs) You see, earlier this year, my wife had taken them to the Gilbert High School uh, football game. So for her, you know, that was football and this is football, right? It's all football, but they're in a completely different league. And not to mention that Gilbert uh, went winless this year, so. (laughs) So it is football but you don't put them in the same realm as the Hawkeyes and the Cyclones. It's a a totally different realm, a different universe, a different league. And oftentimes we, we slip into this deception of putting the wisdom of humanity, putting the wisdom of our age into the same realm as the wisdom of God. And so there is this invitation for the church. There is this invitation for the children of God to on a continual basis come before the cross and look to the cross and allow our hearts to once again be captivated by the foolishness of God, which is the wisdom of God. So this is a timeless message of freedom for our generation, a generation intoxicated by information, deceived into thinking that we know something. This wisdom is available to every single person that can hear my voice. It's the pinnacle of wisdom displayed to humanity. Revelation chapter five, as it talks about the things to come, says this eternal anthem will ring. Worthy is the lamb who is slain. So even in the age to come, in the heavenlies, we'll look back on that moment for us that happened 2,000 years ago when the perfect lamb was slain on our behalf. It will still be the the wisdom of God. So we're gonna look at 1 Corinthians chapter one, but before we go there, I just want to point you to one verse specifically. 1 Corinthians one, verse 25, where it says, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So the creator, God, the the creator who created all matter and energy in the universe, the keeper of all wisdom, the inventor of all wisdom, in his most quote-unquote foolish moment is wiser than all of the wisdom of men. If God could be foolish, still in his foolishness, he would be wiser than all of our combined wisdom. And the most sovereign, powerful being in the universe who spoke everything into existence just through the sound of his voice in his quote-unquote weakest moment is stronger than all of human strength. That is the demonstration of the, the power of God that we see through the cross. It looks like foolishness. It looks like weakness. But even in the foolishness and the weakness, it's wiser and stronger than anything we could muster. Just consider the birth of Jesus. There's this birth of a baby, the weakest of of all human beings, born to a a lower class, at this point unwed teenage girl. Looks like foolishness. But even in the foolishness of God, it sent a shockwave throughout the known world 
So much so that King Herod wanted to slaughter all the, kid, all the boys under the age of two. Like it, it sent a shudder through King Herod's very insecure body, through his insecure mind. Like that's how insecure our human power and wisdom is. That even when, when God graced the earth with, with his frailty, it sent a shockwave through humanity. It shows the absolute security and the wisdom and power of God. There's never a shadow in it. It cannot be shaken. And it shows the absolute insecurity of our human wisdom and power. That is why Jesus could stoop down and wash the dirt off the disciples of whom would betray him. No insecurity, no wavering in him because his, his wisdom, his power did not reside with them. Didn't matter if they accepted him. It didn't matter if they all left him, abandoned him. His wisdom and power was totally other. That's why Jesus could look at the governor Pilate and tell him to his eyes where his authority came from. You know, Pilate was scratching his head as, as Jesus was silent in his presence. And he said, you will not speak to me? Don't, don't you know that I have the, the, I have the authority to release you? I have the authority to crucify you. And Jesus answered him. He said, you, ha you would have no authority over me at, at, at all unless it has been given to you from above. It's in a completely different league. The wisdom, the power of God. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter one. We'll start reading in verse 18. This is Paul's letter to believers in Corinth who, whom were a, a good mix of both Jews and Greeks or Gentiles. Because Paul's ministry here in Corinth, this important hub of commerce and trade, started in the synagogue. That's kind of, that was kind of his default template. He didn't last long in the synagogues. They'd oftentimes kick him out and he would labor amongst the Gentiles. But, but he started in Corinth in the synagogue and Jews came to know Jesus. Before he got kicked out and the ministry hit the streets and, and gathered in homes and until there was a really beautiful household of faith in Corinth. And so he knew that the ministry model of Jesus to the Jews through signs and wonders and how they were drawn to the messianic fulfillments of prophecies that their hearts longed for. But he also knew this ministry amongst the Greeks that they wanted like a, uh, the, the wisdom and eloquence of orators and egos and that they knew from their Greek uh, heritage. But for the Jews and the Greeks alike, he pointed them to the cross, to the wisdom and the power of the cross, that both for Jews and Greeks, this was what their hearts were looking for, is the cross-shaped life in the kingdom. Not as a cheap symbol, but as the entryway into the life with Jesus. So let's look at verse 18. It says, for the word of, of the cross, the message of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is the invitation for us now as children of God to enter into this life of power through the cross. Verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. You can think of Jesus standing before Pilate, knowing his itty bitty little authority came only from God. 
So God could squash it in a moment. Where is the one who is wise? The Elon Musks, uh, all the, the wise minds of our age. Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. That's what I was referring to. Culturally, they, just, they were looking for different things for salvation. But we preach Christ crucified. It is the fulfillment of both. It's a stumbling block to the Jews and it's foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. That's what I read earlier. So before we move on, which we will move on, I first want us to look to the wisdom of the cross. I want our hearts to stop and look to the wisdom of the cross. Not just here. Oh, how we would fail if we just moved, if we just looked with our minds. I let us look with our hearts to the wisdom of the cross. Because until we look at the cross and see the wisdom of God, we will continue to live life on our own. We will continue to assume that our wisdom is something. We'll continue to be impressed with ourselves. But the cross isn't just a symbol of our faith. It's not a clean, shiny token of love. It is the wisdom of God displayed for all to see. So we need to recognize it and look to it on a continual basis. Turning our attention to the wisdom of the cross is the admission that our wisdom and power is nothing. The king of the universe was so powerful, he was so wise that he could stoop down to the lowest position of human existence. He could be mocked, he could be ridiculed, he could be hanging on a tree, he could be called cursed. And not for one moment was his wisdom or his power in jeopardy. Not for a single moment. It's wisdom because he's the only one who could do that. Only God could go so low and yet be fully in control. That's the beauty and the wisdom of the cross. So firstly, it's wisdom. And we look to the wisdom of the cross because it is unquestioned love on display. Just think about it. how could the transcendent God of the universe, God outside of space and time, communicate love to a finite, fallen humanity. How could he do it? Well, he could come and live amongst them. He could live perfectly and then rescue them from themselves by actually taking their place. So the, there in the cross, we see the bridge between the transcendent, eternal God and finite humanity. And it's his unquestioned love on display. Secondly, we look to the wisdom of the cross and we see that it fulfills the just requirements of a holy God. Justice is not a free pass. It cannot be a free pass. And this is where a lot of times the cross becomes a stumbling block for some as they think of God being a God of love. Wouldn't a God of love just give us a free pass? Wouldn't it be just some form of universalism? He sends, you know, he just says free pass. Guys, you guys can come to heaven because I'm a God of love. 
Justice is a payment or punishment for a crime. It's the consequence of sin. And therefore, the cross is the gruesome punishment for our sin. It's love that doesn't cut any corners. It is a holy love. It's a fiery love. It's a just love. As we read the Old Testament, and as we were talking about last week as well, it can seem like mission impossible. You begin to go through, sparse through the 613 commandments of the Old Testament, and it can feel daunting. It can feel overwhelming. It can feel like mission impossible, because it is. And God doesn't budge one inch on the requirements when it comes to his love. Our human, our human wisdom would maybe say we want a free pass, but he doesn't. Instead, he goes as our substitute, fulfills all of the laws, the spirit of the law, of all those 613 commandments, pays the full penalty of the law, all for love. That is the wisdom of God that can uphold both the justice of his character and his love. And thirdly, we look to the wisdom of the cross and we see that it's wisdom because it's made available to everyone. It's made available to anyone. Human tradition and religion is steeped in this idea that you accomplish salvation, that you earn salvation through higher levels of enlightenment. Or that it's reserved for some sort of philosophical, intellectual elite. This happens even in Christianity. We make these extra hoops for people to jump through to somehow come to God. But the wisdom of the cross puts all of that to death. And it speaks to this inner sense of sin that we all have within us. Romans, Romans chapter one says that we all suppress this truth through our own willful wickedness, that we suppress the truth that God has put inside of us. Like everyone, I've yet to meet a person who thinks that they're perfect. Like we all lay our heads on our pillows at night and we know the things we've done. And there is this sense of conscience in us that says that we would stand condemned before a holy God. And all of that is laid bare before us on the cross. That we know that things are not right between us and God. And then we see on the cross the answer for it all. And everyone, or anyone, I shouldn't say everyone, but anyone can recognize it. Everyone does not recognize it, but anyone can. Young and old, rich and poor, intellectual and simple. They can all look to the cross and see that it should have been them on that cross. And they see in Jesus the perfect sacrifice that took their place. That's why last weekend when we baptized 11 individuals, in water, and half of them were kids. My heart was just leaping for joy because the gospel is for kids, for young ones as well. Our practice around here is that, you know, we'll baptize kids. They have to be at least an elementary age. But even elementary age kids can recognize their need for God. And we should be a church that has the heart of Jesus that says, let the little ones come, let them come. Let's keep reading, verse 26. For consider your calling. So now he's gonna turn 
to begin to talk about the pattern for our life. We recognize with our hearts, we allowed our hearts to be captured by the wisdom, by the beauty of the cross. Now, what about our calling? Now, what about our pattern for life? He says, not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. The, the gospel, the cross is available to anyone, but I will say that for the intellectual, for the, for the rich, oftentimes they can have a harder time coming to the cross. They're all welcome, but oftentimes it is more difficult. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So first we looked to the cross, we allowed our hearts to look to the cross. Now we live by the wisdom of the cross. Now we actually embrace this way of life. And one of the main reasons that I, I felt compelled to share this message that's been brewing in my heart actually for quite some time is because I've been telling you as a church that what I believe the Lord wants to do in these days to come will defy natural wisdom. But even that little tidbit that the Lord keyed me in on is not new. That's not new revelation. That is actually the cross-shaped life of every follower of Jesus for all of, for, for all, you know, all of the centuries ever since Jesus came. This is meant to be our way of life, but has become far too uncommon. It's become far too rare in the church for us to speak about the way of the cross and the wisdom of the cross as a way of life, a pattern for us to follow as Jesus' people. No longer clinging to the power in the world, but choosing love. No longer clinging to authority that the world induces upon us, but instead displaying true authority that God has placed upon our life by the power of God. That is the wisdom of the cross. No longer shying away from our weakness, as even Joe was speaking of earlier, but instead leaning in to depend on God, that his power may be seen in and through us. The wisdom of the cross for believers that we would say that it's not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. We live by the wisdom of the cross, by depending on the Lord rather than ourselves. So kind of two practical ways that I believe that the Lord wants us to, to live by the wisdom of the cross. One is by boasting in the Lord's testimony in our lives. With our mouth, confessing the work of the power of the cross in our lives for the Lord to redeem what the world would say is irredeemable. What would be shame and weakness in the eyes of the world is now actually the power of God in our lives. That is the power of the cross. That is the power of the wisdom of the cross. First Corinthians, later in this letter, Paul exhorts the people in a very similar way in 1 Corinthians chapter six. He says, do not be deceived. 
Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, you know, all those swindlers out there, they will, inherit, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. That is the, the key phrase. That's who you used to be before the cross. That was like your shameful way of life before you met Jesus, before you came face to face with the cross. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. Everything that was shameful, that the world would speak over you as shameful, is now redeemed. And that's not who you are anymore. You have a new identity now in Christ. You see, I come from a long, a long family line of alcoholics and addicts. My mom you know, was an alcoholic who took her life. Her fa father was an angry, abusive alcoholic. Her father's father was an abusive, angry alcoholic. In the, in the ways of the world, my lot in life should have been and would have been as, as an addicted, angry alcoholic. That would have been my lot in life. That's what the world would have spoken over me until I encountered the cross, until I encountered the wisdom of the cross that takes the shame and the weakness of this world that the world steeps on me and speaks a different word over me. Now I have an identity in Christ. That's who you used to be. That's who you would have been. And now we boast in the Lord's work in our life. Now we boast in the power of God in and through us. So our chief identifier is now, or is, is no longer our sin of choice. Or to take it even a step further, our chief identifier is not even the fact that we, we still sin, that we are a sinner. I would oftentimes say that's, that's more a false sense of humility that's, that's propagated in the church, that's promoted in the church. Our chief identifier is in Christ who took our place. That's who we used to be, is sinners. Now we are a new creation. The Spirit of God lives in us. Now we are hosts of the presence of God. We're a temple of the Holy Spirit. We're a son, we're a daughter. We have an inheritance, we have a purpose over our lives. I'm not saying that we will live perfect lives, but that is not what identifies us. That's not what speaks value over us. And when we try to cling to those things, we're actually clinging to that old way of life, clinging to, to the shame of the old way of life. So that's how we begin to live by the wisdom of the cross, by boasting in the Lord's testimony in our lives. And secondly, this, we live by the wisdom of the cross by living for eternity. Jesus endured the cross because there was a joy set before him. There was something beyond the pain, beyond the, the shame, beyond the humiliation that, that drove him. It was this eternal glory. It was the glory of his love being made known. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come forward. We are going to end with communion this morning. This is wisdom. This is biblical wisdom, is to, to live with a sense of eternity. And the cross speaks of that very thing. The cross speaks of a wisdom 
that has an eye on what is to come, on, on the things beyond this temporary age. And that is wisdom. I was reminded of an, of an old message of, of a hero of mine. His name is Michael Brown. I'm trying to get him to come speak at our church, but Michael Brown spoke this old message about this Hebrew word, and the Hebrew word is akarit. You can tell your neighbor that. Why don't you say that to your neighbor? Akarit. There's probably like a guttural noise in there somewhere, but that's the word, akarit. And he spoke this message about this Hebrew word, about how, how Hebrew language often has a references to like our physical body. And he talked about how the word akarit is a word in prover- proverbial, like in, in the book of Proverbs, that sort of wisdom that refers to like our back. So wisdom is able to see what the natural eye does and that's able to see like what's hidden behind, what is to come. So the word akarit means to come after, it means the final end. Is that not wisdom? And we all know what foolishness is, it's just to see what's right in front of us. You just see the candy right, right in front of you. You just see the, the sweets right in front of you. Wisdom is to see what is to come after, to see the back that sometimes is, is hidden. It's the final end. Here's, here's an example of Proverbs chapter five, verses three through four. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. So there's that like tantalizing temporary, like sexual temptation. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood. So like the back, the akarit is that, is that she's as bitter as wormwood. It's a trap. It's actually death. It's sharp as a two-edged sword. So the wisdom of the cross points us to that sort of wisdom that's beyond just what meets the eye, just what satisfies the immediate to something beyond that there is more to us, there's more to this life than just what meets the eye. It's wisdom to recognize cause and effect. It's wisdom to see in light of eternity, and that's the wisdom of the cross. Hebrews chapter 12, verse two says, as we look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, because he had that sort of akari wisdom he, he saw what was to come and he was willing to endure, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Hallelujah, amen. Would you all stand to your feet in this place? The Lord is calling us to look to the wisdom of God and live now by the wisdom of God, the wisdom of the cross. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.